what's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. Thank you to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. To Dine For The Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. Spiritless supports the conscientious cocktailer who wants to live fully but drink differently. Their signature Kentucky 74 is a distilled non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. It's zero alcohol, zero guilt, and just 15 calories per serving. Whether you go completely spiritless or go halvesies with a foolproof bourbon to lower the ABV in your cocktail, you can get your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Hi, everyone. This is To Dine For, the podcast. I'm your host, Kate Sullivan. Come with me as we meet the world's most innovative and brilliant minds at their favorite restaurant. You can't be creative if you're sick. You can't be creative if you're in toxic relationships. And you can't be creative if you're not exercising this idea muscle. On today's episode is James Altucher, an author, entrepreneur, and angel investor. He has founded or co-founded more than 20 companies. He has sold a company for millions, and he's lost millions of dollars. He has written more than 15 books, including How to Be the Luckiest People Alive, I Was Blind But Now I See, Time to Be Happy, and Choose Yourself. He's also a national chess master and stand-up comedian. James, how are you? Good, good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for doing To Dine For the podcast. Welcome. I'm so excited to do it. Normally, I am sitting across the table at a your favorite restaurant. The premise of the show is we go with the guests to their favorite restaurant. So um, I really feel like food is a wonderful vehicle for storytelling. So let me begin by asking you, do you have a favorite joint, dive, cafe, restaurant that if this were a normal scenario, you'd be taking me to? You know, I was thinking about that because I know about your show and and uh, I don't really have one. In fact, when let's say I go to the same cafe two, three, four days in a row and then I walk in and this happens to me all the time. I walk in and as soon as I walk in, I see that they have my usual order all ready for me. And mm-hmm. they say sometimes they say, ah, don't even worry about it. I can never go back to that place. Why? Because that I don't. you? I feel awkward. I feel shy. Like I have to make a conversation now or I have to say, hey, how's it going? So like great hospitality in the sense of connection actually makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. So (laughs) often my favorite restaurant is what we're doing right here. Like like even before this lockdown, I would call a friend 
and we'd have like a sandwich over Skype or Zoom or whatever. Okay, so let me phrase this differently. Do you have a favorite food obsession that you can eat privately by yourself, James? <laughs> I mean, again, I, I, a bagel. I I'm, I'm sorry to disappoint. Like, I don't <laughs> really have any. I would say, okay, my favorite food is pad thai. But but since the age of about 35, I haven't eaten it because, you know, uh, it's at some point you 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 go over the tipping point of carbs (laughs) where it's just like you can't do it anymore. And I mean, I do have a favorite joint. I I own in New York City. um, I own for better or for worse. Now, I own a comedy club uh, where it was right across the street from or it is right across the street from my apartment. And I would just go uh, it's called Stand Up New York. It's okay. been around since 1986. Yes. Uh, it's a world famous place. What are and, the cross streets? Uh, 78th and Broadway. Oh, of course. I was at. I used to live at 73rd and West End. Okay, so you you know the place, yep. and um, everybody from Jerry Seinfeld to yeah. Jim Gaffigan to yeah. you know every famous comedian's been there and uh, and performed there regularly. And I perform there, so it would be a place where I would just go across the street, and it was like the cheers like it was the place where everybody knows my name and then i would go up on the stage i would do comedy and but here's my problem even there mm-hmm. i would not be able to hang out like there, yeah. there's a bar scene there and everybody would be hanging out and talking looking at the tvs and talking sports or talking about this or that and i just i can't do it i can't you're an introvert I can go up on stage yeah i and and not in the sense that i'm not shy like I, I can go up on stage and talk to thousands of people or perform. I can do one to many right. and I, I could do one to one like we're doing right here. Yeah. I have a real hard time with group like many to many. Yes, I and understand. Even- I, I'm very similar, I, 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 which is surprising to people since I've been on television for 20 years. But yeah, I, same with me. I can't do small talk. It really bugs me, which is yeah, ironic because <laughs> here we are. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, but I don't feel this is small talk. No. Like I, I, I can't do it. Like even. Uh, a few months ago, or now it's like a year ago, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I was uh, had a party at my apartment, and there were hundreds of people. And uh, I would have to, every fifteen twenty minutes, I'd have to go sit in my room by myself, just to kind of relax. And I really didn't want to go back out, even though it was my party with all my <laughs> friends. You know. So, so let me ask you this: Why did you buy the comedy club? Was that because you had an inner desire and a, a dream of being a stand-up comedian, or which came first? Well, I was a stand-up comedian first, and mm-hmm. the club, uh, and the club, I really enjoyed performing there. It was every every comedian kind of has their club where they start out at, and then they kind of spread their wings as they as they grow. And uh, and and by the way, I'm not professionally a stand-up comedian. This was a a passion that I started and really pursued for for a long time. But uh, uh, you know, then the club needed some you know, let's say investment, investment as, as restaurants and clubs and bars often do. And I would not say it was a good investment on my part. Like <laughs> don't invest in a restaurant or a bar or particularly don't invest in a comedy club. But I, I, you know, it's a, instead of, I don't own a car. So instead of buying a car, I invested in a comedy club. Before this conversation meanders on, I wanted to share why I was so interested in talking to James Altucher. He is known as much for his life philosophies as he is for the companies he created or the many books he has written. A deeply curious man, a gifted writer, and an incredibly deep thinker who has a lot to say about the pursuit of the American dream and the concept of reinvention. I read that um, when people Google, I want to die, 
you and your work is one of the first uh, things that comes up. Is that true? Yeah. In fact, yesterday I was on a podcast with someone who told me that they were in the, the other person on the podcast was telling me they were and now he's an author and does his own thing. And he said he was younger. He was in Thailand. He was sick. He was feeling suicidal. And he literally, he, he Googled, I want to die. And that's how he first became exposed to my work. But is and, that was that intentional? Was that an SEO thing? Or how, why is that? Why is your work the first thing that comes up? I'm familiar with your work and I love it, but I'm wondering what the connection is. It wasn't an SEO thing. Like I wouldn't even know how to <laughs> SEO if I, if I tried. And I just, I wrote this article about a time when I felt suicidal mm-hmm. and uh, it was a time when I had gone broke and I was also getting divorced. I was losing a home. Um, and, and this was after I had made millions selling a business. So I wrote this article about that time. And then, and what I was breaking down was, is it me that wants to die? Or was there some perception that I felt that I was trying to create of myself so people would think highly of me mm. and I wanted to die because that perception, I couldn't hold it up any longer. And was it that that was dying? And, uh, you know, so I was just kind of thinking through that. And I wrote this article and a lot of people read it. And I guess that's what drives it up ultimately in SEO. In fact, it went up to number one in SEO and people were complaining <laughs> because people who were suicidal right then and, and needed help, they didn't want to read my article. They wanted better help. And so Google, as far as I know, this is the only time Google has done this. Uh, Google manually pushed my result down wow. and put another for the National Suicide Prevention Hotline up on the up top. Further. Well, yeah. You know- and you could even see that it's separated out the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And then so gradually now I'm not now I'm like third or like Google just crushed my dreams once again. Well, so I actually think, it. you know, it, looking at the big picture of your career, your highs, your lows, you said at one point suicidal and now your work. Um, with all of your books and writing. And really, you're just a a, a curious person who is pursuing happiness and great ideas. I think you have um, a wealth of knowledge in the idea of reinvention. And when someone is going through a very difficult time, yes, they they need the basics, um, but they also need a will to live and they need to identify what will make them truly happy. Can you talk about your journey from, uh, you know, angel investor, hedge fund manager, selling companies to pursuing happiness? Yeah, I mean, there's so many ways to, to look at it, but I'll just start with the story, which is it started before the financial stuff. I was, um, I, you know, I, I went to school to be a, a, a computer programmer. I loved computers, which got me early exposure to the Internet. And but I also loved writing and the entertainment world. Like I really wanted to be a writer, a novelist, mm. a, 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 you know, a book writer of that any sort. That was the creative dream. Yeah. Right. And so like there was and I didn't I had a com- creative dream and computers to like make a living which is a great way to make a living because right. you program something and then you just have to sit there and maintain it, you know, and while well, I could write all day. And so then I took a job. I figured, okay, I'm going to start combining my interests. I, I was, I'll just say this part. It's not that interesting, but 
I got two job offers, one from JP Morgan. This is in 1994. I got two job offers, one from JP Morgan for over 80,000 a year, which was, I would have been, wow. That would have been like wealth for me. Right. You know, my salary, I was a programmer in Pittsburgh making like 25,000 a year. So I got a, a job offer for at JP Morgan, 80,000 a year. And I got a job offer at HBO, the television company, for 40,000 a year. I took, without even thinking about it, I took the HBO job mm. because I loved HBO. Mm. I felt like, okay, this is going to be closer to my dream yeah. of the, the entertainment world. And so I was a programmer from, there. You moved from Pittsburgh to New York? Yeah. Okay. And it really, even though your skill set was programming, you had this creative, you know, writing stand-up comedy in the back of you. It really was like kind of brewing. Yeah. And I, I was writing every single day. I had written three unpublished novels by that point and dozens of short stories. And so I figured, okay, I'm going to basically get into HBO through the back door with my programming skills. So I was a junior programmer analyst. And and then I began my secret plot, my secret plan. And you should always have a secret plan is what I think. And <laughs> uh, so eventually... At the time, nobody had a website. I mean, HBO didn't even own HBO.com. There was a medical supplies company that owned HBO.com. Uh, they, I, I convinced HBO to, to buy HBO.com. This is in 1995. They spent $250,000 for it. And so they became HBO.com. And then I went to the CEO, uh, which he was my boss's, 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 boss's boss. And everyone says, you can't just go to the CEO's office which means that you absolutely should go and do it. <laughs> and everybody will always say can't because they don't want you to move ahead. They yeah. like you where you are. Yeah. So I went to the uh, Jeff Bukas's office and I said, you know, just like HBO does such great, they became known for their original TV programming. Let's do original web shows. Mm. And he's like, I don't care. You do it. And so wow. that was like, then I went back to everybody. And he said, he told me I need to do it. And uh, I, I started, I did H I created HBO.com and wow. I also started doing original web Amazing. shows. So I did this idea. I had this idea called 3am, which is what are people up to at three in the morning <laughs> on a Wednesday night? Well, on that really Saturday works night, in New York. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, 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 the thing is on a Saturday night, if you're out at three in the morning, okay, you went to a party, whatever, right. but I, on a Wednesday night, what are you something, doing? Right. Something's going wrong if you're out at three in the morning. <laughs> and a lot of things were going wrong. You could almost say this was like a, a, an initial podcast. This was in 1996. Uh, I was interviewing about 20 people a week at three in the morning on a Wednesday night. And uh, I would transcribe everything. I would get the, gra you know, different web designers would do the graphics. And I would put this up. And gradually, uh, it, it was a very popular website at the time. I mean, you can even vaguely Google it and see mentions of it. In different let, me, places. let me stop you there. It, it's the hack that I'm hearing, and I completely agree, is when you are wondering how to get into a company or to get your voice heard, very often people have this chain of command that you're, that you're, the rules tell you to follow. But sometimes I find, or almost all the time, going to the top first is actually the most effective because the person who at the top, you know, the head of HBO, the person you're not supposed to talk to, got there because they work hard and they're open to ideas. And yeah. they're more apt to say yes than maybe the guy that's like fifth down who's like, I got to check with my boss, you know? Right. Like ne the important rule is never take a no from someone who can't say yes. Ooh, so that's if good. I had 
if I had pitched this idea to my direct boss, A, he, he doesn't have a power to say yes. Right. And B, he was going to say no. Right. Right. He doesn't want me doing that. He yes. wants me working on whatever stupid thing they have me working on. Right. And, uh, uh, you know, the other thing is sometimes it's important to just do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. So uh, mm-hmm. one time I had, um, uh, I, I knew a guy, he was a, a physics PhD, but he loved computer science and he moved to a, a top ranking Ivy league university. And he just simply said to them, can I be a professor here of computer science? And they're like, well, you're a physicist. We can't, <laughs> we can't hire you. And so what he did was he put up a sign, uh, uh, on a, on an empty classroom at, in, in the evening. He said, I'm going to teach, you know, advanced blah, 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 computer science, uh, here at 7 PM tonight when he knew the classroom would be empty. And he started teaching this class like every Monday and it became a very popular class. In mm-hmm. fact, so popular, he had more computer science students than any other computer science class. So they hired him because he was the most popular professor without being a professor there. Where did that come from for you? I mean, did you ha- I mean, that's moxie, right? Knowing going to the top of HBO and pitching an idea that, you know, that is a confidence that is a something somewhere along the way. Is that just who you are? It's built in you like to go for it? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, we always worry about it's almost like we're born worrying about what other people are thinking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're told, uh, I mean, it's a cliche to say, but we're told to, to stay in line, you know, color between the lines, yes. uh, you know, but, but we're, we're brought up this way. We're brought up in, you know, go through to first grade, then second grade, then 12th grade, then college, then graduate school, then get a job, then blah, blah, blah. Like we're told that there's these lines that we have to stay in or else, you know, don't be like, that person, they ended up in jail when they went out. You know, there's all these mythologies of bad things that can happen. And by the way, the bad things are often true. Right. But there really are no rules to being human. The only rule is, you know, if, if you only act with your brain, then you're going to listen to what everybody is telling you to do, because that's what your brain processes. Your brain wants you to be safe. But if you listen with your mm. heart, like I wanted to do mm. TV show. I wanted to do write books. I wanted to do entertainment content. That's what I loved and I wanted. So sometimes you have to make sure the brain doesn't get in the way because the heart and the brain, they're, they're trying to talk to each other, but the the brain usually doesn't want you to listen. The brain wants you to be safe. The heart wants to do what it wants to do. We'll have more on the conversation in just a minute. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm, or your life, you can count on your local American National Agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. If you're like me, there are times when you want to feel like you're having a fancy cocktail but you don't actually want the alcohol. So I love Kentucky 74 from Spiritless. It's a distilled, non-alcoholic spirit for your favorite bourbon cocktails. 
but with just 15 calories per serving and none of the guilt. You can pre-order your bottle today at spiritless.com. Use the promo code to dine for to get free shipping. Now back to our conversation. So let's talk about this concept of reinvention. Um, a lot of people out there hurting. A lot of people have been furloughed, yes. laid off. Uh, they're in this unique opportunity, right? The negative is they've lost their job. We're in the middle of a pandemic. The opportunity is, wow, here's a chance to follow that heart, to yes, you know, to rumble absolutely. with the mind and the heart. Where do they begin? If they have an idea, let's let's take them through the process. If they have an idea, what advice would you give them right now? If you have an idea, make sure your idea muscle is in shape. Mm. So it's one you're not going to be hit by inspiration like lightning. You mm. have to, you know, just like being generous with others and being a good family member is is not something that's necessarily you have to keep doing it consistently to keep in practice mm -hmm. or at least I do mm -hmm. and the same thing with creativity you have to write down ideas every day I don't have one on me but I have a, a lot of I this started for me in 2002 I was super depressed I had just this is the first time I'd gone broke I for some reason I was taking a walk and I, I wandered into this restaurant supply store and I bought a box of waiters pads. I just liked how they looked. And it was $10 for 100 waiters pads. And the next day, I just started. You can't write like a novel on a waiters pad. You could only write lists like, right. oh, what's your order, sir? And uh, so I just write, started writing down lists of 10 ideas. And I realized it was difficult, like almost like my brain was sweating. Yeah. And I started writing the, this. I made sure I wrote 10 ideas every single day, maybe ideas for a business, maybe ideas for books, maybe ideas for you, for how you could do your show, yeah. maybe ideas for Google or LinkedIn or Facebook. I would just write, I, I, I say these names because they weren't around in 2002, but I still do this. And every day I realized after just a few weeks, oh, I'm starting to feel differently in my brain. I'm starting oh, to be this. happy. I wasn't, this was actually like an antidepressant for me. Like I was getting excited about ideas for the first time in a really long time. Mm. And I started feeling healthier. I started being, you know, having better relationships with people. And all these things are important. You can't be creative if you're sick. You can't be creative if you're in toxic relationships. And you can't be creative if you're not exercising this idea muscle. I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. I'll tell you, at one of my lowest points, uh, I started to to do something similar, I just started to focus on things that I love, things that brought yeah. me joy. And, uh, you know, whether it was, uh, <laughs> all goes back to food with me, <laughs> whether it was, a you know, a, a pastrami sandwich or a mm. bowl of pasta or, mm. you know, something delicious, I would, I would write it down. And I found that when you're thinking and your brain is thinking about things you love, more of that shows up, not only you think of more ideas, but more of it shows up in your life. Like all of a sudden, someone would bring me a bouquet of flowers. And I was like, I was just thinking about peonies. This is crazy. How did they, well, you know what I mean? It, it, it's true because it takes you, like my life at that time was, I, like I said earlier, I was, I was losing my home. I had lived right next to the Twin Towers. And this was, in, you know, during 9-11 and this was 2002. It was still like just a horrible area the smell from 9-11 was yeah. still um you know who knows what that smell was but it was still covering the whole area and uh uh i was but but suddenly those moments of writing ideas like you say i was connecting 
the things I love. You only really want to write ideas down about something you're excited about. So exactly. that, get, that gets that gets the spark going. And again, you, you realize very quickly, well, I have to make sure I'm healthy or else I won't come up with ideas. And I have to give up worrying for a little while. Yeah. Uh, you know, anxiety and worry, it's sort of like, disintegrates you and to kind of reintegrate yourself you have to be creative and, and come up with the new you have to rebirth you have to come up with these new ideas creativity is is all about rebirth and so i just set that as a stage and then people say oh ideas are a dime a dozen execution is everything it's not really true like i see i've seen over the years many many entrepreneurs with who were good at who who executed on ideas both poorly and very well. And I've been an entrepreneur many times and you can execute all you want, but if you don't execute, there's a spectrum of execution. You could execute really poorly and you'll never succeed, or you could execute very well and you will succeed very easily. And execution ideas are a subset of ideas. So if I had an idea that, oh, this, I'm excited about this the day after I wrote about it, maybe I'll write down more things about this idea I might write down a list of, well, here's 10 first steps or here's 10 ways to validate the idea. So I see a lot of times people come up with an idea and they're sure it's a good idea. And then they come to me and they say, well, I need to raise $2 million because then I'll be able to do this idea. And I, and I look at it and because, you know, I've been exercising this, I'll call it the execution idea muscle. Now mm -hmm. I'll say, well, why don't you try this, this, and this first? And, you know, maybe instead of hiring 20 software programmers to do your idea, why don't you find a customer, do the idea manually first and see if they like it mm -hmm. and see if they're willing to give you a testimonial and see if they're willing to hire you again or recommend you to a friend. Do it manually three or four times. And then instead of raising 2 million, maybe you only need $50,000 because you'll know exactly what features people are really responding to. You'll know what's still easier for you to do manually. I mean, I've started and sold entire software companies where the bulk of the work I did manually that I could have spent millions of dollars automating. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes, you know, execution ideas make like getting good at that makes execution sometimes almost trivial compared to poor execution. Well, and don't you feel like when you really love what you're doing, like you are, you fall in love with the idea, the pursuit of it regardless of the outcome, becomes the success? Yeah, I think I think that's true. And I think that's why you see a lot of people who start companies and then they get offers to sell it and they say, no, yeah. no, because then I would just do this. <laughs> right. Uh, I was just talking to um, Peter Thiel uh, about when Microsoft offered a billion dollars for Facebook back in 2007 and they all wanted to take it. The whole board of directors wanted to take it. And Peter Thiel was was telling me he was saying to Mark Zuckerberg, you're going to be 24. You're 24 years old. You're going to have two hundred fifty million dollars as a 24 year old kid. Wow. And Mark Zuckerberg said, nope, I don't want it, because what would I do with two hundred fifty million? I'm just going to go and try to create a social network and build it up. And that's I've already got that. So, of course, mm. now he's worth over 100 billion or whatever. And he, he was right. Yeah, you got to know yourself. You got to figure yeah. out your your why, what you're enjoying about this. And as you can attest to, it ain't the money that that's the answer, right? No, and in fact, th there was a good twelve year period or more where I was just about the money, 
because I made it and then I lost it. And then I just was desperate to climb to back up and, and I just kept making it and losing it and making it and losing it because I wasn't necessarily executing well. I certainly wasn't, you know, being healthy after I would make it. I would feel like, oh, OK, my job is done because I thought my job was all about the money. And, you know, it's only in the past, you know, five to 10 years that I started really focusing on what I love instead of the pursuit of money. And then I make more money than ever. But how do you feel? Like you say, you've spent the last you know, 10 years doing what you really love. Give me a comparison of, of you as James as a person doing what you love. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't necessarily say happiness, but I would say more like well-being. Mm. So like a feeling of, okay, I'm building a community with other like-minded people mm-hmm. um, who also are doing what they love. I'm feeling um, uh, freedom because whenever you're you're doing what you love, like that moment, you're you're free because what right. else would you be doing? Like right. this is, you know, when you're free, you think, oh, when I'm free, I can do whatever I want. Well, this is what I want. So it's almost automatically free. And then when you're doing what you love also, you get this appreciation of the nuances of how difficult it is what you're doing. So mm-hmm. whether it's mm-hmm. offing or business or investing or comedy or playing poker, whatever it is that you love, writing, when you love it, you're trying to get better and and you and you see every subtlety, every nuance. You, you're able to analyze, oh, I didn't do that. If I'm writing, I didn't, I don't like that word. It has too many syllables. Like you appreciate the nuances of what you're doing more than just if I'm doing something for the money, I'm like, well, did we make money today? Let's sell the business. Like that's the only thing I would be thinking. Right. And I went, and then I would be defeated by the people who did love what they were doing because they did, they did understand the nuances better. I'll give you, yeah, I'll give you that, an example. No, that's a, that's a really good example because when you get, when you're, when you love it so much that you're willing to sit with the uncomfortable parts, the, when you can see, as you said, the nuances and the subtleties, you're always going to win. Not only yeah. because you're 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 on the right path and you're in your purpose, but you are going to look at something differently than someone who's just doing it for the money. Even if you quote unquote fail, and I uh, I put it in quotes for a reason. Even if you quote unquote fail, you're going to win. Who who knows what impact you've had on millions of lives? You've certainly had an impact on my life and my decision to explore oh, a you. different path. And I'm I'm just so thrilled that you joined me today, James. Thank you oh, so well, much. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for your time. Um, we're, we're just about out of time here, but I just wanted to say thank you. It's been a pleasure. I, I appreciate it. Again, thanks for inviting me on the show. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefor with Kate Sullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National and Spiritless. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golmer. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Well, I feel like for you, the challenge must be organizing all of your thoughts and all of your passions. And like you can literally go in a million different directions, start a company, as you said, entrepreneurship, continue with the writing. I would think like just focusing on what you where you're going to spend your attention today in the next three months would be a challenge. It is. I, I literally go to therapy about it because <laughs> there's three books I'm writing. There's two companies I'm starting. There's my ongoing business, podcasting, writing. There's so many 
there's so many things and uh, it gets overwhelming. Like I have to start choosing. Yeah. It's hard. Choose yourself. Choose yourself. Yeah, I got to choose myself first. Yeah. Well, James, I really appreciate it. Next time I'm in New York, I'm going to I'm going to head over to stand up New York and who knows, maybe you'll be at the bar. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe I'll be before me that night. Well, yeah. well, thanks again so yeah. much. I appreciate it. Thank you, James. You Have soon. a good one. Bye bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.